Hello and welcome to Bottled Up on a mission to create conversations and make the mental health of men a top priority. You're joined by myself, Sunny, and Mayank, close friends from university who want to share the stories of everyday people on our platform. The reason? Because we are not alone. Before we kick this conversation off, thank you for tuning in and listening. If you haven't already, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and follow our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your conversations. It makes a huge difference to our reach with these awesome guests and potentially life-saving conversations. And if you haven't just yet, it takes 20 to 30 seconds to leave us a review and would help us out massively. Thank you again, and buckle up for another great conversation. JP, man, welcome, welcome to Bottled Up. Uh, it's a Friday morning for us over here and a Thursday afternoon for you over there, JP. And joining That's us, right. you're joining us from the States at the moment. And, and a question, you know, if, if you've done your homework, a question we ask at the start of each of the podcast is how you've slept. But um, given that that question mm. doesn't make sense, because normally we do our podcast in the morning, <laughs> that question probably doesn't make sense in the afternoon. So we're not going to go down that angle. But instead, I'm going to ask you something a little bit more juicier because I've had a look at your Twitter, had a look at your talk, which we're going to be talking quite a bit about. And you're, sure. you're definitely a deep guy. And 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 in the way you process and, and think, <laughs> I don't know yeah, yeah, in the way you process and think about things. So just to get the juices flowing, you know, on on this lovely day, it's uh, you know, if you were to meet you know another JP out there uh, in a different parallel universe, in a different parallel <laughs> universe of yourself, uh, of yourself, who would you want to bump into to meet and why? If I wait, wait, so, so it, I got confused about the parallel universe part. Yeah, yeah. So if if you could meet someone, so it's in, gotta be someone in a different world. Uh, like, uh, have you watched like any of the Marvel movies, like the multiverse? Multiverse. Uh, I've seen a few of them. Yeah, like the multiverse. And so like, imagine there's like another JP out there in the world living on a, like, sure. or maybe on a different planet, like a different earth and, and you could meet him. And when you, when you could meet him, like what, what version of yourself would you want to see and, and meet and, oh, and why? Okay. That's an interesting question. I would say maybe a version of myself who is maybe more confident than I am. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's something that I'm still working towards and that's very important. Or oh, I found that the more confident I am, the better I prefer form in different spaces in my life maybe in a social setting maybe academically or professionally yeah i've been making a lot of progress over the past few years especially while i've been getting my mba yeah but the version that perhaps is even more advanced would be nice to meet yeah um, so that's the version i'm working towards yeah be. be nice and interesting to meet him for sure yeah. Well, the, yeah this is this is the beauty in these questions because there's always a response you know, similar to yours that comes out and it always gives Mank and I the space to kind of inquire and find out more of, about where that mm. where that's yeah. come from. And so con- yeah. confidence for you, has that not been a big thing growing up and something you've only kind of starting to develop and chip away at in the last couple of years? Yeah. So maybe let's be a bit more specific. It's mostly confidence and how I present myself, especially in social spaces. Yep. So growing up, I guess I can dive into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whichever angle. Um, so the environment in which I grew up was one whereby I very much focused on academics. So I was known to be the one who does well at school. I was, to some extent, the pride of my family. So I held on to that very dearly. And, you know, once you start on a track, people have certain expectations of you. So even my classmates, I felt, had an expectation of me to be the guy who does well at school. And I felt like I was boxed. Yeah. So it was difficult for me to flourish in other settings, especially socially, because I always felt like I was the guy who would excel academically and only academically, especially because also um, when I look at 
my brother, for example, my older brother, he was always a, a social butterfly. He was funny. He was amusing. Would go to parties and then all the kids would be around him. They wouldn't want to talk to him because it would make them laugh. But me, I would stay at the table with the adults <laughs> because I was the nerdy <laughs> one. And it was all, almost an expectation, right? And it also didn't help that my parents would often remind me that I'm too shy. I need to be more outgoing. Those constant reminders almost made me internalize that aspect of myself, that I am a shy person, that I'm not outgoing. So I guess growing up, it's been difficult for me to break out of that shell. And it's not until I came to the US and I went to college in the US and I started working and especially having gone through a super social program, like like an MBA that I've been able to make even more significant progress. But of course, we're all work in progress. So I'm still working on it. So yeah, so yeah. so 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 that's where my mind really came from. Yeah. You spoke you spoke there around like expectation um on yourself. Where yeah. do you think where do you think that came from? The expectation. Yeah. I, I really feel mm. like it's from all the internalization that I'm telling you about. So comparing myself to my brother and accepting that he's the brother. fun one and I'm maybe the nerdy one. Uh the fact that my classmates they would literally be shocked if they would see me at a party. They'd be like, what are you doing here? You know, like little subtle comments like that, they can actually go a very long way. So all of that made me internalize things even more. That, hey, I'm not a super social person. I'm more of a nerd. I don't flourish well in social spaces. And it's, I've, all, I've almost made it part of my identity. So I guess now getting the confidence that I can actually break away from that is something I've been working on. Yeah. Um, and I've been very fortunate to have surrounded myself with people. I've given you the validation that I am an interesting person. I can do well in those settings, et cetera. Uh, so, so that's been very gratifying to me over the past few years, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. An interesting analogy that I always use is I think I watched, I saw it from a TED talk. I believe it was Brene Brown. I'm not entirely sure. So don't quote me on that. Yeah. But it was an analogy of an elephant being held by a rope. So the idea is that a young elephant gets tied by a rope and they try to pull themselves away. And it's hard. So in their mind, they tell themselves, hey, if I see a rope, I probably cannot walk away from it. So now when they get much bigger and then you see them at a zoo or at a circus, there is a rope and that rope, they still believe that it can actually hold them back. Even though they have so much strength because they're so much bigger, they still believe that that rope can hold them back because they internalized it since they were a little elephant. So now I'm using that analogy very vividly to remind myself that all of those blocks that I've imposed on myself or my ropes that I need to break away from as well. That's yeah. very beautiful. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful analogy. There's, um, yeah. for, for you, JP, and for those listening in, I guess, just a bit of background around you. You've, you know, obviously grown up in Haiti or Haiti, mm-hmm. uh, if I pronounced it right, <laughs> before everyone's uh, oh, yeah, ruined yeah. the way they've said it. And, uh, and you, you know, you've done, you've, you've studied your, <laughs> yeah, I've got the giggles this morning. <laughs> sorry, sorry. He, he's, he's actually laughing at you, not with you. Sonny, yeah, so. yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I figured that part, so I'm just going to continue going. <laughs> um, and so, like, obviously, you've, you've studied in the US and you've just finished your MBA uh, at Stanford and you've just graduated. So, massive congratulations to you. Thank you. On, on that. Taking it back, you know, a couple of steps, you know, growing up in Haiti. Um, what was that like for you and, and I guess your relationship with your parents as well growing up? Like the, 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 yeah, little, sure. the little JP, I guess. I, I, I want to like, yeah, yeah. poke, poke a little, um, yeah, want to poke into little JP. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to shed a little bit more light mm. on my upbringing because it was definitely not all constrained to mm. the academics. Mm. I did actually grow up in an environment where I was fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of kids 
So I had a lot of cousins growing up and I would spend the weekends at their houses, etc. So that was very lively for a child. Um, my mom, especially, a lot of her friends had children and would hang out with them all the time. So that was always, you know, enriching and interesting for me as well. Uh, when it comes to my relationship with my parents, so it's definitely a loving relationship, mm. um, but it's not perhaps as social. Yeah, or so- yeah. I, I feel you. I as a, yeah, 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 as maybe I'm trying to find the right word, it, but it's not intimate. Like open. As you'd find yeah like we don't talk about our emotions as yeah. much right yeah yeah especially yeah. given that let me give you a very clear example so it was in ninth grade mm. so i was taking a national exam and it's an exam that you know i really wanted to be i wanted to have the highest score in the country mm. i wanted to be number one i, I, I was super <laughs> ambitious and that was my goal mm. And I started to prepare for it for months, literally the entire academic year. Yeah. I was studying for that test and I, I felt like I had what it took to actually have the highest score. And I took the exam, I got my score back, but I felt like I did not get the score that I deserved. And there, there's often uh, claims that, you know, the exams don't get corrected correctly, uh, that whoever grades the exams, maybe they, they did it without paying attention. So I thought I was in that bucket and I was sad about it because the score I got really did not correspond to all of the preparation that I that I put in. So I was super sad. Mm. And my dad, he saw me sad. The next day, he took me to a hospital. It's uh, one of our big national hospitals. And then he was showing me the dire circumstances in which some people were living. Mm. He was essentially trying to show me that there are people out there who have bigger issues to deal with and that me... Having not, not having had this quite wanted, I still passed. I shouldn't be as sad, right? Yeah. So that was, so, so that just to give you an idea of how difficult it is sometimes to express or live out your emotions, especially in a yeah. society where being able to eat on a daily basis is already a blessing, right? So it's almost like there are limited emotions that you can express because mm. simply being able to go through your everyday life is already a blessing. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It does yeah. make sense. And like, does, does that... Sense. I guess for you, you mentioned just a moment ago, like not having necessarily the most intimate relationship with your parents. I I, I relate to mm-hmm. that as well. I don't know about you, Mike. I feel like on the outside, yeah. you know, you, you might have like a really good relationship, but keen to hear your thoughts on this. But for me, I, yeah, I, I haven't had a, like, it's a great loving relationship. Just, you know, we don't really talk. I remember when I told them uh, about my girlfriend for the first time, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I could like, I, I couldn't bring it up normally. Cause it's just like, maybe, and, and I think that's just like that internalization that you have. Like you almost feel awkward bringing those things up. So I'm kind of just like, I'm opening the fridge. I'm like, Oh, I've got some news closing the fridge and opening the fridge again. And, <laughs> uh, and then be like, Oh, like, yeah, I'm seeing someone <laughs> closing the fridge again and then hiding and then hiding behind that. So um, I'm sure there's probably, yeah, yeah. You, you might have similar stories to that and like, hopefully not as embarrassing, but um, do you, is, is, is that something that's within like the, the culture of, you know, your friends and, and fa- like it, friends cousins and and their mm. relationship with their parents you know is, is that something that's part of like the IET culture like for us in uh, as indians like we're not like i would say so yeah yeah it's always academically for sure for sure it's just emotions or whatever is personal to you is not something that's talked about as much with your parents yeah, yeah so I've, i have a lot of friends who have similar uh, relationships with their parents I, I do have a few that are super close and to me it's shocking right but the norm is that you and your parents were two different entities and you of course you love each other but you don't talk about everything you don't express yeah. emotions as much just to give you another example so my mother i love her to death but what i found <laughs> there's always the butt <laughs> i love how no, there's no, a butt no no I, I love her to death that's that's i know i know, I know. Cool, cool stuff but Okay, no, but what I found recently <laughs> is that she has a little bit of difficulty to say 
I love you to me in our native language and either Creole mm. or or in French. But yeah. she will say it to mm. me in English and she will say it in the mm. exact same intonation as my aunt because my aunt, mm. she says it mm. in a singing tone. So the way she says, I love you to me was, I love you. So my mom will yeah. say it the exact oh, same yeah. way, pretending that she's meeting yeah. her. But she's actually saying I love you to me, <laughs> right? Just because yeah. we never really grew up saying I love you to each other in a very fluid way. But I know she means it. Mm. And yeah. I guess that's her way of coping with it. Yeah. Mm. And do you find like for us, like what Mank and I have realized is like our parents haven't grown up in a generation where like this language was part of their day to day. Like this wasn't something they were necessarily educated on. And so for Mank and I, it's like this is kind of our responsibility in some way to kind of bring up those discussions and be the first person to kind of put the foot in the ring and in the arena and, mm-hmm. and start talking about it as you as you grow older and as you like explore more i don't know as, as you have more experiences and as you see more people getting connected to their parents or maybe not so connected to your parents do you almost also feel that same level of responsibility or is that something you're intentional about in in some way or form like building i guess the question here is like being the first one to talk about these things and or you know trying to find more ways to connect with them um, than you had previously done, you know, as as a teenager. As in with my family. Yeah, like with your family and and yeah. For sure. Mm. Definitely. So I've done a few things, very light things. Mm. So for example, I started a WhatsApp group for a family and I've been trying to keep it active. So occasionally I'll share a little joke in there just to make sure that we have more conversations that yeah. are more organic. Because otherwise we'll talk to each other maybe once a month. Mm. And things will stay the way they are. Something else I tried doing was family weekly calls. Um, we tried it for about three months and then it got <laughs> awkward for some yeah. people. So we stopped. But it's something I hope to start again. Yeah. So I'm definitely trying to get us all out of our comfort zone and embrace you know, being a little bit closer to each other, more intimate mm. with each other, definitely. But then what I'm absolutely looking forward to is hopefully becoming a dad myself. Mm. And then taking the lessons that I've gotten from my upbringing. And then for sure, conserving everything that I've cherished, but doing better when it comes to having a more tight and intimate yeah. relationship with hopefully my mm, children. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at, um, I think it's it's really weird, like the way that we sort of look at it from a generational perspective, like particularly for people mm-hmm. from from our generation, we generally learn from the mistakes that the pre, or not mistakes, I wouldn't say they're mistakes mm-hmm. really. I just say that like, improvement points yeah Yeah, adjust a bit i think like our generation i think based on particularly within the area of mental health and mental well-being i feel like because that language wasn't really instilled in us we're we're, we're kind of like the transition generation i think like where the generation before us was mainly like the generation that didn't really speak about it now we've i guess we've felt the repercussions of not being able to speak about it and now we'll i guess the next generation will feel like you know it's going to be part of every single day conversation like it is the common cold or having the flu or and i think that in workplaces as well even even these i'm not so sure if you've noticed a different dialogue sunny as well but even in workplaces at the moment like i just feel like there's just a massive emphasis on it right now you look at like all these much top, more open uh, look at all these top athletes as well um i'm not sure i think uh sunny tells me that you're a tennis fan jp <laughs> um so you got so, yeah yeah go go, go you making uh, no i was gonna say like you know you got people like naomi osaka nick Kyrgios as well who just made the Wimbledon final by the way just 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 put, put, putting that in there yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah but like they, they, there's a massive like massive emphasis on 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 that and um I, it would be interesting to see how like the world is going to sort of change when we when we sort of increase that dialogue I agree I agree it's, it's well, actually it's actually small, yeah you go JP. I was gonna say a small point of correction first so I, I love tennis I play it but I'm not a big tennis fan as in I don't follow tennis as much I, okay so, so 
So, okay, so you <laughs> so don't deal with too much about the tennis question. No, that's all right. So, did tennis love you, and you didn't love tennis, or did you love tennis and tennis didn't love you? Which, which 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 one is that? Which one is it? Mate? It's in a very complicated uh, relationship for sure. <laughs> uh, there's nothing. Honestly, there's nothing more frustrating than hitting a forehand long multiple times in a row. Nothing gets nothing grinds my gears more than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about but, a bit of previous point, though? Yeah, but but your previous point, I do agree that there should be more effort put into giving us the skills to have mm. those conversations. Because if you don't show someone the basics or even how to have those conversations, it's very difficult for them. Yeah, especially yeah. if they grew up in an environment where it's not the norm. Yeah. So I've been very lucky to have gone to the GSB where we take classes that literally focus on articulating your emotions, letting people know how you feel. Yeah. expressing whenever you feel like there is something unresolved. Mm. So that's kind of the tool set I've been secretly using in my family. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but but I do feel like there is some training that needs to come with it and not simply expect it to happen naturally. Uh, I think Sunny and I as well, like we've also discussed this um, many times before, there, there are different parts of different of someone's story that different people will, will identify with. Like Sunny mentioned, he could really identify with, I guess, like the, the family part of your story and um, and having that connection with mm-hmm. your parents. I, I was, I've been very fortunate to have had a very kind of like a very it, relatively stable upbringing with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like I'm somewhat open with them and um, very, very, very fortunate. And I have absolute gratitude that, you know, have yeah. somewhat of a, have a, have a good, have a good relationship with them. Um, of course, they did separate when I was in year, year nine, but that mm-hmm. hasn't really affected, you know, it wasn't as like it wasn't as a me- one of those messy separations where you know there's yeah. a there's a lot of you know and you turn um, out well obviously oh well well that debatable debatable that's very that's very debatable. <laughs> very debatable well one of the things that I did really identify with your story though JP was I guess like the internal like the internal pressure and I think like mm-hmm. um the having that kind of expectation on yourself based on your current based on your surroundings and relating yourself to to and comparing yourself to others like for for me um the part that I could identify with your story is because my sister she's a she's a lawyer she's a very very successful person like she's you know she, she got like a 99 ATAR which, which which in our education system is very very high and mm-hmm. like you know I, I guess like when, when I was in high school um I definitely felt the pressure where like you know I don't want to be the black sheep of my family and I think I am <laughs> I don't want to be the black sheep of my family but I think I am <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I guess like from, from your perspective like what are the dangers that can that can be associated from your perspective what are some of the dangers that 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 can arise from I guess one comparing mm-hmm. yourself to others and being driven by, I guess, fear of not, you know, not living up to mm-hmm. other people's false expectations of you. And and could I just add to that, like, even in the context of like maybe GSB, yeah. where you're surrounded, JP, with like so many like awesome mm-hmm. people at Stanford who come mm-hmm. from so many different backgrounds. Um, I can only imagine, you know, what Mang's talking about. You might have mm-hmm. felt that maybe um, during your time there. So I'm um, keen to also get that lens. To For sure. answer. Very cool. So definitely super dangerous to get in the habit of comparing yourself to others. To give you a very concrete example again, another area of my life I've struggled with is my accent. For whatever reason, I've, for the longest time, I've hated my accent. I've always wanted to sound like an American because I, I've always hated it, especially when I say something mm-hmm. and someone does not understand and they ask me to repeat myself or they pretend they do and they don't. And I can always tell when they don't. That would be very frustrating. Too. So I started to mm-hmm. dislike 
the way I spoke. And I also started to compare myself to a lot of mm. successful people. And one thing, at least what from what the media told me, is that to be successful, you've got to be extremely eloquent. You've got to be able to speak like an American. At least that's the narrative that I bought into. So mm. even before I started at UGSB, even when I started at UGSB, my very first quarter, especially because it was an environment where, you know, we have people who have really been super successful in so many different er- areas of their careers and their life. And mm. it's a program where participation and the classroom is very encouraged so people express themselves orally a lot so then I would start comparing myself to all of my classmates and it made me hate my accent even more so I literally started to take a class on accent reduction because I wanted to suppress my accent as much as I could and it's not until the instructor actually told me hey why are you actually taking this class I can understand you very clearly and I started to ask a few of my friends very close friends for feedback and a lot of what my instructor was saying was being repeated to me and that's when I realized that I'm doing myself a major disservice right first of all my accent makes me unique yeah second of all I'm putting unnecessary Mm -hmm. pressure on myself and it's preventing me from focusing on what actually matters right so I've slowly grown out of it but it's just to give you an example how dangerous it can be because I would literally be in situations where I would be mm. extremely upset, extremely, extremely frustrated for something that actually was not a problem after all. And instead, the mindset I've adopted is one of being vulnerable enough where you actually put yourself out there, ask for feedback, and you know, ask others how they actually perceive you, how they perceive your skills, instead of internalizing what you think might be an issue for you. And in silence. So that's something that I've tried and it has been super rewarding to me. And I wouldn't encourage others to try it as well. Yeah. One of the things that'd be interesting as well in, in your response there, uh, JP, and one of the realizations that I've kind of had, and, and, and this is based off the conversations that we've had with other people, and I, I would love to get your thoughts on mm-hmm. this as well. I, I'm not sure if I'm use, maybe using the right analogy here. But like everything's like a balancing scale. So if there's one aspect, I mean, you mentioned there how you wanted to suppress mm-hmm. your, um, yeah, I guess like your accent so you can fulfill that kind of that kind of identity yeah. of, of being like having that American kind of accent. And did you did you find that like by doing that, there were other aspects of your life that you were trying to make up and be a bit more like your authentic self, if you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like a balancing scale. Like there's one life, one part of your life where, mm-hmm. where it was like, I want to be like this identity, but then like you were compensating, like, you know, where your like your true authentic self came out in other aspects of your life i'm not sure if that, if that kind of makes sense because like generally the way that the way that you know when i've spoken to other people generally um when one aspect of their life is is up like this they generally like they, they sort of compensate that with another activity which sort of balances balances mm-hmm. things out were there other activities that you found that like you know that you were actually being your true authentic self to balance out the fact that you had to i guess mask your own identity by your own yeah, language it honestly did not become it, it was just not sustainable. At some point, I, I took a class called Touchy Feely mm. at, at UGS. So it, it's yeah. for it's a class where, you know, yeah. people really learn to express themselves and talk about whatever's frustrating for them. And they get a lot of feedback on how they're being perceived. So I literally broke down in this class because I was so frustrated by my accent. Yeah. And that's when I got a lot of the feedback that, hey, I'm actually being too harsh on myself, right? So I guess maybe that's where the authentic mm. part came in. I mean, came in. It was... I almost forced myself from exposing what I was doing because it was just not working, right? And it was so frustrating. So at some point I was like, mm-hmm. hey, I, I need to talk to someone about this. And here's a group of people who are dedicated to helping me grow. Let me open up. So having had that environment was extremely helpful. So that's the only way I can, I guess, mm-hmm. relate to what you're saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, 100%. No, I understand that. Yeah. You know, like for you, JP, sometimes, sometimes I feel like when you become mm-hmm. too vulnerable, you lose a sense of professionalism. But actually, when you start talking about what's going on, 
it's a weird thing, but people end up having a lot more respect for you um, and actually see you as someone sure. that they might not see in themselves or they might see in themselves, but they've suppressed that. And so, you know, when you're at the GSB, you're around so many people who mm-hmm. are like, you know, working professionals, you know, different age groups, different stages in their life. And I'm sure at, at a moment in time, and you know, when you and I were talking about it um, a while ago, I think you mentioned something around like the first five or six months, everyone's kind of just like putting on this face or putting on this <laughs> mask. And then you realize that everyone's got imposter syndrome uh, <laughs> six months in or like midway through their, their course. And so <clears throat> touching, touching on that, like for you, being authentic and being vulnerable is much easier said mm-hmm. than done. What did that process look like for you as you were sure. starting to unpack some of those emotions? And maybe I, I feel like for all of us, there's suppressed emotions that maybe we're not even conscious about. Yep. Like there's just like some things that are like so deeply seated in there that that's why we talk about midlife crisis when we're like 35 or 40, right? Because a lot of these things sometimes come out. And so did you have any kind of things that you, like obviously the accent being one, but um, you know, if I was to summarize that, like, Mm-hmm. One, what was that process like opening up and, and sharing? And, and two, were there any kind of revelations and, and things that came out for you so for maybe what the first I would time? say is it's extremely rewarding to be vulnerable and show humanity to others. The caveat is you don't have to do it with everyone, and you certainly should not do it with everyone. To give you another example, even mm-hmm. at the GSB. So there's yeah. mm-hmm. a program that I was extremely interested in doing. Um, I applied for it. I poured my heart out in the application. I even had an interview and I revealed some aspects of my life that were pretty, pretty vulnerable. Right. And then I wasn't admitted, which is fine. But the way I was told that I wasn't admitted left me a bit unresolved. So they simply sent an email saying, dear applicant, you're not admitted because of XYZ. Right. So an environment like that, it, I almost regretted having opened up so much, especially because the ones interviewing me were, were peers and mm. I feel like they know so much about me mm. and they did not handle the delivery of my rejection in a way that is appropriate, right? But there are other areas where you can mm. actually be vulnerable and it can be rewarding. Like that class, touchy-feely, before people are comfortable opening up and whatnot, you spend a lot of time mm. getting to know each other. You essentially develop yeah. a lot of trust within the group And that makes it Mm. not only easier to Mm. share, but then when you do share, it's easier for people to stay in it with you and, you know, be in the hot seat with you and make sure that you feel resolved. Mm. It's not, hey, tell me something meaningful and then I'm going to walk away. So so I think it's very important to pay attention to the setting as well and make sure that there is some amount of trust before you completely open up. Yeah, because you don't want... You don't want mm. being vulnerable That's or you try your attempt at being vulnerable to leave a sour taste in your mouth because then it will prevent you from ever doing it again and you'll be missing yeah. out from all the benefits that can come from it. Yeah, yeah, spot on. One one thing um, you talked about, maybe you felt that you gave away too much. And I think something to be conscious about is like, it's mm. good to be authentic and vulnerable about your story, Absolutely. but there is the right place and time for that. You can't talk about your story authentically and vulnerably That's right. to absolutely everyone in every social yeah. group because some groups will exactly. Not, exactly. not use that in the, yep. in the most productive way. And we, we've, we've, we've had a guest that came on and I forget, I forget what the X-axis mm-hmm. is, but it's like a two by two, but maybe Mank, do you know? It was like people yes, that yes, care. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so so yeah. it was people well, that what care was the on, axis, the, if on you remember. the Y-axis and people that just mm-hmm. want to know on the, on the X-axis. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. 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 So pe- pe- people that can, people that just want to know. 
And some people mm-hmm. want to know, but don't care and, and the vice versa. And so for you, I guess the question is like, as you started sharing your story and as you started yeah. maybe becoming a lot more closer with a lot of people in your cohort, how did you kind of know who were the people that you could trust and, and be open to um, versus the ones that maybe mm-hmm. you realize that, okay, like some part of me wants to tell them, but some part of me is also like, I don't think this is the right person or group to tell my yeah. story to. Like, how, how did you go about navigating that? Because I think that's a constant balance throughout life because you always feel like you want to like, I don't know, like mm-hmm. as Mank and I, we do the podcast. And so we've become a lot more like we've become, and it's, it's, this is maybe a very contrarian view, but it's like, we've become a lot more open to sharing our story, like even in workplaces, um, even with people around us, because naturally that's what we, we do week on week. We start talking to other people about their story. We start sharing our story. And I think at least for me, sometimes I have to realize that, yes, I'm, I'm open. I'm being vulnerable about, about the stories, but I can't continue and be that yeah. vulnerable and that authentic in every single setting because some settings don't necessarily yeah. require it or, or demand it and it and it wouldn't be used in the most for sure, for way, sure. right? Like client meeting, yeah. for example. You know, yeah, just, exactly. that's just a yeah. very, very blatant example. But but there's other examples like that. So um yeah, the broader the broader question is like, yeah, how did you go about kind of figuring yeah. out which circles you could open to or or, or not? And and what, what makes you feel mm. the most vulnerable? Okay. As well. I would say take baby steps. So I, I would never open up to someone entirely upon meeting them for the first time. But I, I take baby steps. I share a little bit. And then I also look for reciprocity. To me, that's extremely important. If I'm sharing something yep. that yep. is a level two. So when you took that class, the touch feeling class, we talked about uh, levels when it comes to how deep the conversation is. So one through five. So one being a, a very small talk and then five being something extremely uncomfortable for you to share. So if I share something of level one, I expect a level one, and then we keep on going. But if I say that I'm going much faster than you are, I will, I will for sure adjust, right? So what I usually tell people is, you know, any relationship or conversation, it has got to be a two-way street. And if it doesn't feel like that, then to me, that's a red flag, and I take a step back. So I just make sure that there's some reciprocity and that the other person is also willing to share yeah. some aspect of themselves that someone vulnerable as well. And that gives me an indication of how much I should open up or, or not. Yeah. Were there any moments that you can remember where you and um where you were quite surprised by how much someone actually cared when you started sharing your story? Because sometimes we often get caught in the trap of like, no one's really wanting to listen to this or like, you know, I feel like I'm talking too much. I often get that voice in my head, which kind of says, yeah. oh, I'm talking too much. I should let the other person <laughs> talk. But sometimes like, sure. and this is where I'm, I might ch- I might challenge this, um, where it's like, sometimes I feel like as a listener to someone's story, mm-hmm. sometimes I don't want to bring yep. up elements of my story, not because I, I'm not willing to share, but maybe because I want to give them the space mm. and not feel like the conversation goes, you know, becomes about me because it can easily just become about me. So how did you kind of go about that? You know, like you know, A, like how did you go about that? And, and B, were you quite surprised in a very positive way about like the responses and the, and the care that you got from some people? Yeah. So how did I go about making sure that there is some balance in those conversations? Yeah. Or, or like, or, yeah. Or like, what what are your thoughts on that? Because I think I, I don't know. My, my belief is like, sometimes I feel like, you know, you might not always want to yeah, for sure. bring up a little so bit about yourself. What I what I often remind myself, like it's, it's a little joke that I even share with my friends, is if I'm talking to someone and I feel like I'm the one asking them all the questions, I'm much more interested in them than they were in me, then to me, that's also a red flag. So what I always say is, hey, I'm not Oprah, I'm not interviewing you. Why am I asking all the questions? You know, uh, I, I don't actually yeah. say that to the person, yeah. but I tell that to myself. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a signal that <laughs> yeah. the balance is, 
is not, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit tipped off. So I, I make sure that for me to get comfortable with someone, that there is much sharing on both sides. I'm asking, they're asking, and we're both interacting in a very organic way. And concerning about, concerning, so the question about being surprised, about how, people, how much people care, it's happened of quite a few times. And the, the times when it happened and that I've been mostly shocked are the ones where, let's say I had a conversation with someone, I shared something uncomfortable, and the person reaches out and invites me to do something with them again. Because if someone is yeah. able to sit with you through something uncomfortable that you've shared and they want to meet with you in person again, that's a, it's a sign that they actually care, right? Mm. You don't have to be comfortable, but showing up is important enough. Yeah. Or people who mm. take the time to reach out whenever there is a tragedy going on. Oh, uh, yeah. And they know it's awkward. They don't know what mm. to say, but they still reach out. To me, that matters. Yeah. So just to give you a, a, yeah. another example, last summer, exactly on one year ago so july 7th of last year so i woke up to a flood of whatsapp messages saying the haitian president was assassinated mm-hmm. right and the number of classmates reached out to me from the gsd to me that was shocking and a lot of them you could tell they didn't know what to say they're like hey is your family okay are you okay are you feeling mm-hmm. people really didn't know what to say they, they were all awkward mm-hmm. and uncomfortable about it but at least they reached out mm-hmm. and to me that matters and a few weeks afterwards there was a an earthquake in Haiti um, that affected the south, southern region of the country. Yeah. It was all throughout the same summer. And then there were people who actually doubled down. They reached out not only for that first incident, but for the second one as well, with the same level of discomfort, right? Yeah. So showing up, to me, again, it shows that you care, that you're someone who, mm. you know, gives a gives a damn. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, uh, these are the Haiti, the Haitian president, is that what you said? Sorry, JP, I couldn't hear. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, it was president. the president. Oh, wow. That's right. That's right. Yeah, okay, wow. That's, um, in that, in that moment, like, it's, I, I can, I definitely identify with that. And I think what Sonny, um, what Sonny was saying before mm-hmm. around, especially in the, in the situations when someone is kind of opening up to, to you, um, cause yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, and this real, one thing I've realized that everyone, there's a bit of individuality within, within every, within, within everyone. And I think like, um, sure. at, at some point, like it's often, it's often very, very difficult to not put your own kind of spin on things to so- on, on, on someone else's story. Like, for example, there was a, there was a time where, um, you know, I had a, I, I had a bereavement within my family and then I think people came over, came over to my place and it was like super, super, it was really, really mm-hmm. not nice. And, um, I think in those moments, you know, who your, who your very close friends are and people who gave you a call and sure. people who reached out, you know, that who's, mm-hmm. who's, um, who's there, who's there for you. Um, for sure. I think like, there was, there was some points, especially in the conversation that I was having, that people were saying, "Oh, you know, I had a, I had, some, I had a very similar, very similar experience." And I think at that point, it was it was definitely very, very helpful um, because you know, it, it, obviously, mm-hmm. there were similar, similar circumstances, circumstances. But there are some t- there are some other situations where I feel like you've gone through something, and that's unique to that's unique to you. But then if someone's like, "Oh, I've gone through a very similar thing," it's like, and I know exactly how you feel. It's sometimes you can always go like, "Well." The, mm-hmm. no, you, it's different, different. You, you don't know how i feel it can be a turn yeah off. and it can somewhat be a bit yeah. of a bit of a like you know like like you're making it about you but it's actually about me yeah i don't know like yeah it's it's like it's actually yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 i find it um <laughs> i find that that thought well yeah. that's fair that's fair but i guess the way i would reframe it is to say in those situations 
people simply feel uncomfortable and they're they're not sure what to mm. say. And often all yeah, what you true. can say is, hey, I've gone through something similar. So I guess yeah. when that happens, what I do is I try to understand where they're coming from. They're just trying to fight the awkwardness yeah. that they're experiencing, mm. but they're willing to at least be here for yeah. So so that's what I focus on more instead of saying they're really making it up. It's about the it's about the intention, yeah. not the yeah the exactly. intention right exactly. behind it yep and then it's 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 really a coping mechanism yeah to, to just 100 the lack of comfort that comes with contacting you in a very 100%. very traumatic or hundred percent situation hundred percent yeah. now yeah i think that's that that's mm-hmm. that's super i think yeah i think the one of the things that we've learned is looking at the intention behind behind people's actions so i think that's uh it's very well for sure very well very well said um mm-hmm. so i'm not sure if you have anything to add to that but i, I wanted to I want to potentially like shift gears just a little bit. Um, as you know, JP, mm-hmm. um, I'm moving. Um, I'm moving overseas. Uh, I'm moving to the UK in a, in a couple of well, not, not a couple of days, <laughs> but literally tomorrow. Um, and I think Today, tomorrow, tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow. And I, yeah. I don't twenty four hours. I, I, honestly, um, I woke up this morning and I feel like it genuinely hit me this morning that like you know like I'm going for a year and it's. You know, it's it's a bit um get a, you can get a bit nervous around like I guess the whole uncertainty that that kind of comes with moving to a different country and um I guess like once all mm-hmm. once I've settled all the admin and once I've settled everything I think it will really sink in that you know I'm I'm going for a year mm-hmm. um I'd love to get your insights into when you moved over um when you Stanford mm-hmm. right you you moved to you moved and and and, were, and um studied at Stanford. Um, what was that kind of process? How did that process look like for you and like saying bye to the family and, mm-hmm. and yeah, like how did that kind of transition process look like and how did you deal with that kind of, uh, I guess it's not really uncertain because you're going to Stanford, but like, I think, um, I think what, 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 <laughs> what, what were some of the uncertainties or some of the apprehensions that you may have had at the time? For sure. Yeah. So my biggest apprehension was and becoming disconnected with my friends before I got yeah. there. Especially because I knew that Stanford, you know, for a lot of people when they hear their name, it's they they see a lot of prestige coming with it. So I didn't want to be classified as hey, he's now this fancy pretentious school kid who goes to Stanford. Mm. He's probably not gonna be our friend anymore. Mm. So I guess it came with a lot of intentionality to stay present in the lives of people I cared about before I even got mm. there. So what I would do is reach mm. out to my old friends occasionally, make sure I would reach out on their birthdays and whatnot, mm. make time to call them, maybe a Zoom mm. call, whatever it may be. Mm. So just staying in touch. Mm. And that's something mm. that may, maybe there's going to be one or two people listening and saying, hey, you actually yeah. did do a very good job at this, but at yeah. least it was the intention, intention. I was able to do it with a few yeah. people. And <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what my goal ultimately. <laughs> so, so, so that was the biggest thing. And then when I got there, Again, it was a new community. I got lucky because it was a program where people come in with the strong desire of getting to know as many people as possible. So that wasn't difficult to, to fit in. Mm. But still being mm. open and not being super selective in who you hang out with, I found to be extremely helpful to mm. So 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 my first mm. few months, I, I treated them as a way to meet as many of my classmates as I could. And then very organically, yeah. there will be people that, you know, you see more that are in more classes with you that have more, you know, similar interests. So you double down more when it comes to hanging out with them. But not putting yourself in any box, not being in any sort of clique, uh, I found to be extremely rewarding. So, so, so that's mm. maybe a, a mindset I would encourage you to have as well whenever you onboard your new journey. The like, you know, 
I was speaking to Jenna. You might know Jenna. Um, she yeah. she was talking about like how at like you've got all these friends that you have outside mm-hmm. of Stanford and and before you you come for your for MBA, sure. and then and then within the MBA, the very nature of the MBA and like I think you guys have like an open calendar where people can just put in time <laughs> uh, whenever oh, yeah. and like um and so so it's like it's man just for context they've they've got an open calendar where people oh, can really? see kind of when you're <laughs> free really, when you're not free really, yeah and 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 maybe yeah maybe details around it I'm not too sure if they do that but um it basically encourages yeah. people to just put in time whenever because that's part of the networking culture yeah. and, and getting to meet that's people. Great. And yeah. so um, this, this is, this is something I've struggled with JP and I'm keen to get your thoughts mm-hmm. on it. Um, I really like meeting new people, um, but I never want to lose sight of the people and the connections yeah. that I've made already to yeah. date. And sometimes I often feel overwhelmed because there's this expectation to meet more mm-hmm. people and, and put yourself out there and, and get to know For others sure. with this, with this, like, desire slash expectations tools like there's a desire to still stay in touch mm-hmm. with all the friends that you've had and and you know your childhood friends and things like that but then there's also like you don't want like, back to your point you don't want to be seen as someone who's just like too busy mm-hmm. for someone else and i like i struggle with it a lot um and i'm i'm keen to know for you like because of the very nature of the nba where you you're having to meet so many people mm-hmm. and um as an introvert myself like i'm not too sure if you fall into that bucket like you do get drained from just like do, having sure. extended mm. catch up. So it's not, it's not, it's not that you don't want to catch up with, with people yeah. and, and stay in touch. It's just like, I just enjoy my, my time and my space. And so it forces me to prioritize, mm. but then at the same time, it's just like, it's mm. so hard prioritizing as well, you know, like there's so many great people out mm. there that you just want to be close with. So how have you gone about navigating that for yourself? For sure. So I do also identify as an introvert, so I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. Yep. Um, so I guess my mm. approach was, the first, again, few months, I was very much in the mindset of meeting as many people as possible, but I knew that would not be sustainable for the entirety of the program, right? So I told myself, this is hard, it's going to be draining, it's uncomfortable, but let's do it because there's a lot of benefit that can come from it. So let's stick to it for mm. a few weeks or a few months. And then yeah. afterwards, you know, things got much more natural. So again, you know, there are people that you will see organically and whatnot. And you're able to become much more intentional with your reach outs instead of trying to meet every single person. So, so that's been my approach. And mm-hmm. also even with your old friends, um, it's not as if I, I, I was a super popular guy who had 50,000 friends outside of the GSB that I have to stay in touch mm-hmm. with. I mean, there is going to be a handful of people that you for sure want to stay in touch mm-hmm. with, but it's not as if you need to talk to them on a super frequent basis, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. touching base once in a while is, is meaningful. Sending them a little text saying, mm. hey, you know, I, I found this funny and I thought you'd like it. Whatever yeah. it may be, just showing them that you actually yeah. care. That's honestly enough. So you yeah. don't have to drain yourself in the process. You can definitely manage it. Mm. But at the same time, there are situations where it's worth putting yourself out of your comfort zone, even if it's for a short period of time. Because nothing, mm. not everything in life has to be super comfortable. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got to make sure that you can sustain yourself. So recognize that it's temporary, that you're not doing it forever. And then not just whenever you feel like you need mm. to. Yeah. How, and like, maybe this is like a slight detour from that question. But like, I imagine because you're given so many, and maybe this is very contextual. Maybe let's talk about it in mm. like the, the context of like friendships and events that would have happened so at, at the gsb you've obviously got a ton of people that you're meeting yeah. 
Um, but then you've also got a lot of like events and, and things going on. You've also got um, internships, work, um, you've got coursework, which would be pretty intense sure, as well. Sure. And, and there's a lot of trade-offs that you would have had to make along mm-hmm. the way. Um, and it can be like on, on our own mental health, it can be quite overwhelming with so mm-hmm. much that's going mm-hmm. on. Um, how did you kind of approach and structure the way you went about making trade-offs and making the right trade-offs mm-hmm. um, during your time? Very fair. So I guess the first thing I did before I started my MBA was spending 10 days by myself in Vail, Colorado. So Vail is a ski town mm. normally, but over the summer, it's more of a hikey, very friendly town. Yeah. So I was lucky. Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you know about that? Yeah, yeah. I've watched it. I watched. I watched the documentary. Yeah. I, I saw your post. Yeah, cool, keep cool, going. Cool. I, I love this story. Cool. So, be- that the summer before, I watched a documentary on Bill Gates uh, called Inside Bill's Brain, and apparently, what he does every year, he takes about a week, where he isolates himself and he takes a big bag of books, and he tries to read those books, and it's a time for reflection, mm-hmm. etc. So, I wanted to try something similar, a little less intense, but with the same flavor. So I, I went on that trip yeah. and then it was 10 days by myself, even though I did have a friend who came to visit me at the very last day of the trip. Mm. <laughs> so I cheated a little bit, um, but it was very much a solo trip. And I took the time to really reflect and journal and prioritize how I wanted to spend my time in the NBA. Again, I gave mm. myself some flexibility. We always need some flexibility in life, right? But at least I had a plan coming in. And I knew what to focus on. So mm. for me, academics would not be number one because I already had my undergraduate degree and I really wanted to launch a startup. Yeah. Um, that was one of the main yeah. reasons why I wanted to get an MBA. I felt like being in an environment like UTSB is that super friendly to entrepreneurship would give me a booster. Mm. So there is mm. no world in which I would have prioritized academics. So I was, it was very clear to me that academics would not be number one. So we actually have... Yeah. Uh, like a, an award, it's called uh, the R.J. Miller Scholars. So it's for, I think, the, fa- the mm. top five or 10% of the class. I literally yeah. wrote down, you failed if you become an R.J. Miller Scholar. <laughs> so I was very ah. much against having super stellar grades because yeah. I knew what was important for me going to NAMI was, you know, building on my relationships, working on the soft skill development because the GSB is a, it's really known for you a lot of they have a mm. lot of programs and classes that can help you and different aspects of your personal development and then also working on a startup mm. so these were the things that were really important for me and i absolutely deprioritize academics they probably won't be very happy if they're listening mm. to this because yeah. they're in academic institution <laughs> yeah, the, 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 admission, the admissions team is just like yeah dialing in. they're actually our biggest <laughs> listener by the way jp i i, I didn't i just i, I, le- I the left admissions that team at stanford yeah. um <laughs> And then the other thing (laughs) that I do to kind of sustain myself is I look for opportunities to have what I call new beginnings. If if you saw my my Twitter post, I I talked about it as well. I saw it. I was about to ask that as the next question, but take it away. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So essentially what I found, at least for myself, is that I get rejuvenated or I get a burst of energy whenever I find myself in anything that is new. So for example, I just moved right now to Miami. And this past week has been extremely productive for me because I've been, you know, it's a new environment, it's exciting, and I have new goals, and I can push myself mm. some more. And I, I find myself in a similar situation, just like most people for, for New Year's, right? Everyone has all those lofty goals and whatnot. Yep. But then given that I find that burst of energy whenever I'm in a new environment, 
I've decided to find ways to artificially craft those new environments. Yeah. So one thing I would do at school or even before school in my old workplace is I would change the setup of my of of of, of my office or wherever wherever I work. So I would move the desk around, mm. change the paintings from one wall to the other, just so it feels new, and it would give me the burst of energy I need. In fact, I remember a lot mm. of my workers when they would walk to the area where I was working, and they would see things things move around. They're like, "Oh, you 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 reached a milestone or some some something new is going on." <laughs> and then it would keep things interesting for me, for people around me, um, and that's been fun. Mm. And it's been helping me you, yeah, like- stay stay full of things. Yeah. You, you mentioned those uh, 10 days you had in Colorado as well as being maybe that's an element of a new beginning, like something about to start over the horizon. And, sure. and this was some time by yeah. yourself. I'd be keen. And this is more out of curiosity. Like, how did you structure those 10 days? Because mm-hmm. for me, like, I feel like for me at the moment, I feel quite overwhelmed with a lot of things sure. going on. Like, um, and first, one of the things I thought about the first thing this morning was like, oh, it would be great to like, just go away for mm-hmm. like 10 days without tech and, and just reflect. But yeah. I caught myself out and I was just like, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's, it's more, it's more systematic. Cause it's like, yeah, you can go away and you can run from it, yeah. but like, what's the, um, am I just going to come back to the same place again? Um, and so that's obviously a more systematic um, change that needs to take for place. Sure. But for, sure. for you, for example, like how, how did you go about structuring those 10 days mm-hmm. out? And yeah, I'd be curious to know how you structured those 10 days out. Yeah. Um, so I would first of all, find a way to force myself to get up every day. And the way I did it was by taking mm. tennis classes. So every single day, 8 or 9 a.m., I, I would have a tennis lesson um, with a local trainer. Mm. So that was a way to get me out of bed, get the train going and whatnot, instead of simply saying, hey, I'm here for vacation. I'm just going to lay in bed all day. Mm. Right? And then a lot of what I did was uh, journaling. I, I, I journaled like there was mm. no tomorrow. But I, I didn't just journal with... Uh, <laughs> with a like a, a blank sleep, right? I, mm. I asked myself very specific mm. questions and that was helpful to me. So I would ask myself, for example, right. what do I want to accomplish over the next year, over the next two years? Yep. How do I want to stay in touch with my friends? Mm. What are some things completely I'm going to do? So I asked myself a lot of specific questions that gave me some structure so I could mm. actually be productive instead of yeah. writing out of thin air. Yeah. So that I, I found that to be helpful. And then mm. the way I summarized it all, was by writing a one-page letter to myself of what my main goals were, what I know I have to work on, and you know what my expectations were for myself going forward. So being mm. able to summarize all of that in a one-page letter mm. helped me a lot. And whenever I got to the new destination, it felt like I was equipped with, you know, uh, a template to 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 go by my yeah. my, my day to day in a way that feels very fulfilling mm. to me. So I feel like if you yeah. do take the time to reflect, journal, and then have some digestible takeaway, maybe a one page letter or maybe a few bullet points, but it's gotta be digestible, mm, right? Yeah, of course. Then whenever you come back, even through old environment, I bet it will feel very different. A quick a quick question is um. Sometimes when we're in these mindsets, it's so easy just to write what our ideal version of ourselves mm-hmm. could be. Like, oh, yeah. I want to be more social, or oh, I want like you can make it. You can make it like somewhat smart sure. and um, make it time bound, etc. And, and and build those out. But I think it's a whole nother kettle of fish, like trying to execute mm-hmm. and act mm-hmm. on what you've written yeah. down. 
what did that look what did that look like for you um because mm-hmm. it's i often catch myself out being like writing all these lofty things about what through. i want the world yeah. to be and, and and things and you don't follow through like um yeah how, how, how do you go about sure. that so what i found to work for me is not only doing it once but make it a continuous thing mm. so this process mm. of drafting my goals and then summarizing with, with a letter at the end i would do it at the beginning of mm. every quarter and also at the end of every quarter yeah and also i would write a letter mm. to myself anytime i would be at any inflection point um throughout my journey in the mba so all together i've written yeah. 21 letters over the past two years to myself nice. um Damn. and then it's all the result of journaling reflecting and then telling myself hey this is a lot let me summarize it on a one page letter yeah and actually, recently, yeah. so I just graduated. I went back to the exact same place. I spent mm. one more week. I read all of those yeah. letters. Mm. And then I came up with a few other goals. And I summarized it all in another letter. Wow. Right? And then what I found mm. is the journey of, you know, doing it continuously. And then, for example, one of my goals was to host events. Because it's not anything I was ever comfortable mm. with growing up. Again, going back to my upbringing, I always felt like I wasn't super social. So it never came to me that if I posted something, people would actually come Mm. or that it would be Mm. fun and interesting. Mm. So one thing that I internalized before business school is that, hey, I'm not someone who hosts events. So I wanted to challenge myself to host events. Mm. So it was one of my goals for a few quarters. I never really executed on it. And then when I realized that, hey, you keep telling yourself it's one of your goals. Mm. So for the last two quarters, I've been actually acting up on that. So I was able to host a few events in my place. There was a pretty fun cocktail night that I did. (laughs) Um, I'm actually, I actually like invite. <laughs> yeah. but I was able to get there because it kept on coming up. And then at some point I had to be, yeah. you know, a little bit more severe with myself and say, Hey, you want this? It's going to be helpful to you. Freaking do it. You keep telling yourself you're going to do it. Right. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. so, so, so making sure that you have some way to revisit your goals and then mm. you can kick yours and then kicking yourself a little bit. Yeah. I, that's 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 helpful mm. as well yeah would you consider yourself a very structured person would you would you was that how you define i guess like your day-to-day kind of being especially being at being at sanford and obviously having a lot of things in your plate would you would you consider yourself a very structured individual and do you see yourself as someone that you know needs to see the tangibility mm. in everything that they do i would say yes you know i love to have some structure yep. but i also love to have some leeway yeah so for example one of my habits that I tried to develop while I was in business school was journaling every single day, yeah. but I gave every myself, day. yeah. So, so I, I was being pretty intense, but I gave myself the freedom and the flexibility to not have to do it every mm. day. Because what mm. I find is if I tell myself, I've got to do it every mm. day, then it becomes dreadful. At yeah. And then I stop. Yeah. 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 Or the other thing is I, even in my daily journals, I ask myself very specific questions. Yeah. Right. Some of them might be mm. what's something I learned about myself, what's something I did well, what could I have done better. Mm. There is a list of specific questions. Yeah. Right. Because I, lo- I want to have some structure, mm. but I don't force myself to enter every single one of them every day. Yeah. There are days where I enter just one. Exactly. There are days when I enter all 10 or 15 mm. of them. Yeah. Um, so, so I do give that freedom to myself yeah. to be a human being about mm. it as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I'm seeing yeah. a lot of similarities between you and you and Sunny. I, I don't know, Sunny. I, I'm not sure if you could, if you, if you, if you realize <laughs> this, but like, no, I think one of the themes that we've, we've, yeah, I, I can, I can tell. Because one of the things that um I feel like talking about on this podcast is obviously the intentions. Mm-hmm. 
we spoke about intentions before around um, other people's actions and the intentions behind those. But I think there's also another part mm-hmm. of intention where it's like our intention on ourselves and, and, and being in, um, having intention for our actions. Um, do you think that there mm-hmm. is a balance between like being, being too, not intensive, but like having too much intention for your daily actions? And do you think that, and I think it kind of goes back to like that idea of, of structure in your day, but do you think that like, um, mm-hmm. there is a, I mean, obviously it's good to have intention in the way that you kind of operate, for but sure. do you think there's a, there's a line where it's like, you, there's this too much intention sometimes with all the actions that I'm doing in a day? For sure. Which is exactly why I allow myself to not do it every day. Right. Because at some point it's like, man, what are you doing? And yeah. Cause you don't want it to be too overwhelming. And you also don't want it to be too artificial. Like one of the questions I used to ask myself is who did I help today and how? And then what I found is, I would actively look for ways to help people. And, and, and this would be like very small things. It would be something like holding the door for someone or offering to help someone carry, carry a bag. And I would find myself actively looking for ways to help people because I knew I would have to answer that question the next day. Yeah. And at some point I was like, yeah. it's, it's good because it, it is making me you know, spread a little bit of goodness in the world. But at the same time, it felt artificial to some extent, right? Um, so that was hard to juggle. And I decided to get rid of that question. Yeah. And I tried to do it a little bit more organically yeah. going forward. So, yeah. So, so, so you definitely have to pay attention to it whenever it feels like it's not too authentic or it feels overwhelming, then it's a signal that you should adjust a little bit, step back and then just let yourself be. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. I don't know about you, Mank, but I'm, I'd be quite keen to see those questions you asked yourself like not your <laughs> yeah, responses yeah. Like, the, like the questions themselves and and maybe like you know if you're open to it like maybe that could be something we could put in the show yeah. notes for people yeah, for that sure. are listening I'll, I'll and want yeah, to go awesome. down that reflective exercise yeah that'd be awesome um i yeah i i i think we mank and i we always talk about this like <laughs> i won't go down the rabbit hole of our experience with journaling yeah, yeah, and yeah. the yeah. january experience and stuff like that but long story short mank and i uh, individually both went to a cafe spent about like three hours mm-hmm. there uh, this was December, January, uh, and we just like wrote and wrote and mm-hmm. wrote mm-hmm. for like, I think it was like, ended up, it was, it was typed out, but it was like three or 4,000 words of just like everything that was in our head. And you just felt so good yeah, after. For sure, for uh, sure. And we left that being like, we want to make this a habit <laughs> like going forward. And I, <laughs> uh, and for me, it suddenly happened a handful of times, yeah. but nowhere as much as like mm-hmm. I would have wanted. I get you, I get so, you. Um, I, I totally respect your like consistency. Cause I, 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 I feel like everything, everything in life is yeah. through compounding returns Definitely. In, in one way you or another. Small stick to it. Long way. Stick to it. And I really can tell you yeah. how rewarding it was to have gone through all those 2021 letters that I wrote over the past mm. few years and then seeing how much I've mm. grown and also how much yeah. I've changed, you know, like a lot of my concerns that I had at the time. Or, mm. you know, like I've grown out of them and have new concerns, have new mm. struggles. So, 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 so it's kind of mm. fun to, to see yourself run the process as well. Mm. So I would definitely mm. encourage you to, to, to keep it going. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, this is, what a conversation. Man. What a, what a um, conversation. So I, I was going to say, I, as, as I was looking down, I was sort of writing down these, um, these gems that um i feel like with every single guest that we have every single guest we've spoken to with sunny and i have taken away something and i think um 
Yeah, mm. I think yeah, he'd be writing as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's a it's a learning process for us. Yeah. We certainly know we love learning. We love learning about people's stories. And um, I think the philosophy, and I'm gonna go through the spiel again, Sonny, but like the philosophy um behind our initiative and behind this entire podcast is um this concept of time. And I think Sun Sonny and I um mm-hmm. this idea of time, we never take that for granted, someone else's time. Um, I mean, you've actually carved out time in your day to come and speak with us to hopefully you know progress the conversation around like mental health and around mental well-being and um you've shared your experiences um and it's something that no one can ever take it's, yeah it's, 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 go ahead it's, it's all because of the accent when it's your accent we actually just say like your accent is we actually want your accent like we generally uh, we actually want yeah. like yeah. not this boring australian accent that we've got <laughs> I, I was gonna say, Mank, when you said earlier, like oh, I can see a lot of similarities between you and JPM. Like, yeah, give me a sexy accent, and then we'll have a bit more. Similar. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and and an admissions letter from like, yeah, Sam so if you are listening, we're, we're, you know, candidate, like, we're candidate, have a one, we're candidate for one right here. Um, yeah, so no, but I think, um, yeah, like it, it's something, it, someone's time, and and I think someone's time. And um, we, we're talking about tangibility in this, um, in this, in this podcast, and in this episode, we're talking about tangibility, and mm-hmm. um, this is. As, as much as you can't touch and feel this conversation, I feel like um, it's something that you can't really take away. And I think it's um, the, once we do upload this episode, it's going to stay there and it's going to be for everyone to listen. Um, and it's going to see the three of us donating all, all three of our time, times or time zones or whatever you want to call it um, into, <laughs> into, um, into, into progressing this conversation. So it's like a, it's like a letter. This, exactly. this is like a letter yeah. that you can look back at. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Your, ne- your next, your next week away. Yeah, it's like exactly. it's like the audio yeah. form of yeah. your letter. So, I love so. it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that Perfect. could be a startup. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mate, do you ever switch off, mate? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I love it, Sonny. No, I love it, Sonny. No, I love it, Sonny. Um, continue, continue. Yeah, no, I um, I think that's that that's super. I think yeah, I, nothing else to really add to be honest. But I just wanted we just wanted to thank you. You're part of our family now. You're part of the bottled up. Uh, you know. Happy to be a part, yeah, of, the part of the family now, mate. So, uh, if, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. If, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if, if Sonny and I, where you look at it, and, yeah, you don't really want to be part of that family, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no, but um, no, we really appreciate your time, uh, JP, and um. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, love we're, it, man. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed thanks. it as well. Um, and very honored to be a part of uh, your podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks, yeah. man. Um, so, well, last but not least, uh, where, where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? Yeah, where, where's, where's um, you know, but give us the give us the the, the run sheet, man. Give us the give us the one yeah. minute profile. <laughs> it's, Cool. It's not. It's not going to be JP Morgan. <laughs> JP Morgan. Yeah, I'm, I'm very accessible. You can look me up on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, so my name is uh, Jean Pierre Brazil. Jean Pierre is my full name. Uh, or Twitter at JP Brazil. Uh, and I'm super responsive. So so shoot me a message and I'll make you think sometime. If if you're not yeah. just saying hi. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Hi with a personalized name. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Loved it. I've loved this conversation, man. So thank you for coming on. Um, Mank, not too much else from my end before we pass it over to JP to sign off, but I'll kick it off. This is Sunny signing off. This is Mank signing off. Over to you, JP. This is JP signing off. And that's a wrap for this episode. If you are enjoying our conversations, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All the conversations are recorded in video, so check us out on Instagram and Facebook at our handle at Oz. 
Drop us a comment or a message if any of these conversations resonate with you. And most importantly, please share this podcast with anyone who might need it. So as always, this is Bottled Up. Thanks for being part of our family and see you next time.